Hello and welcome to the studio from Hot Topics. My name is John Bernstein. We're going to talk data, data mapping and monetization for leaders in 2023. A broad question, first of all, Andreas, I'll start with you if that's okay, around challenges in terms of activating the data we have. What are the challenges that are standing in our way? I would usually say people, really. Technology has moved, but people are still quite focused on their existing processes, approaches, way of working. So that's where I would focus more of my effort, to be honest, on 2023 and most of the years of trying to bring people with you on the journey. So if we think it might be a technology issue, actually it starts with people. Very good. KK, would you agree in terms of that challenge? Absolutely. We were on another session earlier today, and I said data is a people problem. It's not really a technology problem. It could be a culture problem as well, but it starts with the people. Um, I think on the activating that data part of it, yes, you have to do the education, you have to have the right attitude, the right culture, but what you also need is some of the, uh, the tech and the, uh, even the laws to come, uh, come along in the same way. Why do I say this specific thing? It's because if you step back over the last year, uh, or two with all the IDFA stuff that's happening, do not track me across other devices, etc. All of a sudden, activating that data, if it's customer data, has become much harder. So you can collect that data, but the laws and the way that the uh, environment is changing, activating that data becomes hard. But I do agree, it starts with the people. And you talked about that word culture as well. Do we need to distinguish between people and culture or is it much of the same? I think they're related, but they are different. People are themselves, their people are people. Culture is how you think about the data and how do you think about technology? How do you keep transparent yet? Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm in the, in, I've been in the retail space. Now I work at One Football. Um, we deal with people directly and we, recognize what people actually do with their uh, football, right? Do they like uh, the team that we are at right now? Uh, do they not like them yet follow this, right? So we know a lot about the people, but those people trust us with that data. And culture includes understanding how you're going to manage that trust, how you're going to manage that security beyond uh, just the technology part of it. So culture is bigger than people themselves. And then, of course, across a company, Culture is about, are we going to be data informed or not? Do we really understand how we can use that data? And then the storytelling comes in, which then goes back to the people. The people have to do the storytelling so that the culture changes. Yes, yeah, certainly, I, I agree. So us at Cancer Research UK, we do have some technology challenges, but I think it's mostly in the, in the process and how people collaborate around the data that, that we need to, to make a step change. And it's um, things like, the team that can decide what data should be collected is, is one team and then the, the team that can actually act and improve the quality of the data that actually gets collected is in a separate team and then the analytics team is also separate and they each have their own priorities and it's very difficult to, to coordinate and get any change actually enacted so these silos need to need to be broken to to make progress quicker so what we're trying to do is actually introduce a, a product mindset where we have a um, cross-functional product team with all the skills uh, in their actual individuals that know each other and, and work on the same objectives week by week uh, and can try new things, learn, measure uh, how they're improving on their on their targets that they're trying to, to, to meet and collaborate around the same data. So very 
definitely putting data specialists into those cross-functional teams. Definitely, and not only data specialists, data engineers, but also a product manager, uh, someone from marketing, someone from, um, uh, from our fundraising products, perhaps, if that's the nature of the team. Uh, someone from like a data analyst as well, so that together they can work on the same things, same priorities, and, and test and learn together. The gentlemen around the table have already mentioned some of the aspects around processes and culture. So I'll just talk about um, the unstructured data challenge that we have. We're, we're not really in control of the data we receive. And by the time we receive it, a company is normally failing. So we receive it in all sorts of guises. And so the challenge we really have is that we're not in control and we need to process this data very quickly. But the opportunity is for technology to lean in. And, and there are so many advancements now out of the box around AI and ML that are coming in in being able to help us understand and search through that. Um, so that's definitely one other aspect that I would highlight in addition to those that have been raised. And in terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning, is this stuff that you're looking at for the future or is this stuff you're adopting for the now? No, uh, we're, we're adopting it now. Because, I mean, it, when people talk about those acronyms, they, they think about very advanced aspects, but actually, you know, the basics is what we need to get right at the moment. And that's really important for us. We actually um, just completed uh, a project which has actually received much recognition uh, amongst uh, the community, which is brilliant. It's our resolution data lake in which we were ingesting a large amount of data and then using the Azure platform um, and the inbuilt um, AI and ML capabilities to search through certain keyword phrases and give us recommendations for our claim handlers to be able to make much faster decisions. We actually reduced the claim handling time by 60%, uh, which was quite incredible. Um, and in terms of the fact we're a mission-driven company, the outcome's fantastic for our customers as well. Not only has the, the rest of the group here touched on really important uh, aspects around those challenges, but they all point to the fact that one element of what we're talking about is the fact that much of what we're doing or trying to do with data is novel. Right? There is an aspect of innovation with regards to activating data for business impact. And Sabah talked already about you know, some significant business outcomes that can be the result of innovation around data. So I'd, I'd put, put it out there that one of the challenges is in really overcoming the challenges associated with innovation. How do we identify new opportunities and new business models that surround data? Not just what are the aspects regarding data regulations or customer controls on data or the feasibility of using information, but what can be done with it. Um, there, there's vast opportunities for all organizations with regards to activating data that are really are a key element of the challenges that uh, we're all faced with. Just explore that for us a bit further, that idea of the challenge of innovation. Is that about the limits of our imaginations or is that something else? Uh, to a large degree, yes, but it's also organizational. Right? Culture we've touched on already, um, shifting an organization's mode of operation or way of thinking from what has been done in the past to what's possible with access to the likes of the infrastructure from cloud environments, from more modern techniques using data science, whether it's AI or machine learning. These are new for organizations. And while individuals can understand them relatively fast, shifting how an organization takes advantage of that can take time, particularly when it requires cross-organizational participation in an industry or between industries as well. The biggest challenge at the moment that I see is um, data and AI is a hot topic. So there are solutions all over. 
and there are hypes. So when I'm um, in meetings or um, doing stuff, I see that people tell me you need a fabric, you need a lake house, you need a mesh. In the end, they don't talk about the thing what's in the back to have a good governance to progress your company. Many people think there is a nice and fancy word and we need to build it in our company. To be honest, I'm doing data and analytics for 15 years plus. I did my PhD about it. What's in there is governance that we did 20 years ago. Um, they are good practices. And that's one thing where I think we shouldn't jump on too many hypes, think about what we are doing. And if we do this, we can listen to our business people, generate trust, create ownership in their business area, that they take over responsibility for data quality, that it's not the IT guy, he's the functional owner of that kind of stuff. So that they take over, that they see what they can do and that we join the passion for data in the end because then we will solve all kinds of AI problems because we have to join ownership. But that's also a thing we need to take the business with us instead of promoting the next hype after another. Michael, I'm, I'm detecting a little bit of skepticism in your answers. So is there to an extent, do we have a problem then in the industry that we are reinventing the way we're talking about exactly the same things? Is the problem exactly the same as it was 15 years ago, for example? I wouldn't say the problem, but um, as data people, we tend to say the new tool is the, the thing that helps us in any situation. If we look at decoupling, if we look at general principles of software engineering, if we look at um, containerization and stuff. That's nothing new. It was done in data warehouses. It was done in management information systems. But when we had big data, the people forgot that there are layer architectures. If I look at the data lake now, what a wonder. There are layers like in the data warehouse. Not so many, but they are. Now we talk about, a data, about the lake house concept where we combine that together. I think we should uh, um, honor experience and what we haven't done in the past is to see what went very good in the past. We just said there is a new tool. Let's solve the problem with it instead of thinking, how can we use the tool we have to generate benefit? So it's not skeptical. I know what we are having in people. I'm trusting my, my old guys and I'm happy that I have their experience because they've seen so much. They can make my big data, my AI and all the things even better. I can relate to um, sort of acronyms being, being used or saying, well, we need a customer data platform. We need this sort of technical concept, technological concept. But actually, it's always good to go back to the, to the what is the organization strategy, what outcomes are we trying to achieve, and then work out what the best technology is actually to serve these rather than the other way around. Or we've got this piece of tech, let's see what we can do with it. Um, and the other thing that I can relate to is the, the data governance um, uh, things that you, you mentioned, Michael. We're trying, I was talking about these cross-functional product teams that we're trying to set up. We want to embed the data governance roles within them so that they're in charge of deciding what data to collect, what data quality metrics are important to them and actually be able to, to report and improve on these metrics um, because they, they have all the all the skills they need in, in their team. At the co-op, uh, we've <clears throat> just merged our uh, data function with our digital and technology function to create one one function. Um, so that's quite vital. It's quite vital 
as I heard some of the other other speakers talk about um, creating cross-functional teams, uh, putting data analysts within teams, which is really important for the teams to really understand where to take the product next uh, and to get that vital insight. One of the problems we've seen over the years is that um, when you sort of launch big programs, put big systems implementations in, when they start to need to cut costs, the first thing that gets cut is data and MI. Not enough time has been put up in upfront understanding what benefits you could get from that. Um, we've seen contracts signed with partners over the years where data was an afterthought and you find that perhaps the ownership of the data is not quite as you would have expected it to be. In shrinking program costs down, like data does tend to get the rough end of it as well as uh, decommissioning what you were trying to replace in the first place. So booking the trend with that is really, really vital and important. Daniel, I'm intrigued. The fact that uh, data is sometimes treated as an afterthought. I thought data was the new oil. It was essential for businesses. But you're telling me something slightly different. Yeah, well, that's what's happened historically, certainly in my, my experience, uh, where, you know, MI and BI is the, the tail end of the programme. And then when they actually do come around to doing it, ah, oh, well, if we designed it this way, we could have we could have got some really important insight. Or if we'd have asked to capture that bit of information, wouldn't it have been really valuable? And oftentimes, particularly in big programme implementations, it's a little bit too late once you've done. In the age of more modern product-based delivery, it's more easily rectified uh, than it is in um, traditional waterfall delivery. Thank you very much for that. Andres, can I come back to you? So I've got a question here about the most reliable ways to transfer data, maybe on-premise or from the edge. That's a very good question. And... It's a good question because I would start from the point of you shouldn't be building. Most of the times there's no clear user case of building on-premise. So when you develop, develop directly on the cloud so you do not have to work on how do I transfer data from one system to the next. Having said that, there are cases that having on-premise servers, it, it is important. And I, I work in some of the high security project that you need to have your own servers They need to be secure. The cloud is moving down some of the cases, but how you transfer the data from on-premise to cloud, especially for historic applications, uh, my, my key advice there would be, do not try to transfer your existing on-perm into a cloud environment. The amount of times that I said that, yes, we have this lovely SQL database here, let's put it into a cloud as is without taking into consideration what you're trying to achieve, why you're moving to the cloud. You're not moving to just do the same thing. You're moving because you want to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I would focus more on what's the need, as we all already mentioned, what's the, the need to move to the cloud and what kind of data you move to the cloud because different data will come with different challenging challenges. It's different to transfer transactional data versus some of our environmental data that we're working, which you're capturing video and sound and transferring petabytes about petabytes is not the same as transferring, you know, some petabytes of CSV files that you collected or you built on the on-premise. Very good. It sounds like it's essential to ask that why question before you start doing it. KK, have you got anything to add on, on reliability? I like the direction that he was going in, Andreas, there. Uh, so I've been a bit of an eclectic uh, background person. I was in telco. I, I used to run data for Ericsson. Then I ran data for uh, a retailer at Zalando in Germany. 
Then I was the CDO at Farfetch here in London, and now I'm the CDO at OneFootball. If you think about it, very different industries, telco to retail to now football, but in every one of them, the most important question you have to understand is why are you doing this the way that you're doing it, right? In a telco, you may actually keep that data on-prem because of many different reasons. Those, that data is generated there and you don't necessarily want to move it at that point. But if you think about a retailer or a, a football company like we are today, there is no reason why you shouldn't be in the cloud, first of all. Second, you have to understand how quickly do I need to act on it? Is it actually transactional? So in my current role, for instance, uh, if somebody is interacting with our content, watching a football game, interacting with an article, you could think of these as events. And if you generate those events right at the first point, whether it's on your app, on your phone, on your uh, laptop, on your connected TV, those events can then very easily be transferred into whichever cloud you want to use. So the important thing is understanding what that use case really is, how quickly do I actually need to act on it, and then my preferences, you talked about clouds, my preference is keep it in one cloud. Find the cloud that's going to work for you for the longest period of time, right? If you're going to be working in certain countries where certain clouds don't work, if you have certain use cases that are better done on one cloud versus the other, figure out where you're doing it, pick that cloud, and stick with it as long as you can. Very good. Sabra, a related question. So we've been talking about the why. Why do you do it? As a data leader, what, what are your plans in terms of applying that data to accelerate business value. You said earlier, and it, you know, we, everyone's using the phrase data's the new oil, but it, I think we, working out exactly where you want to actually focus your time and effort has become really important as part of that, um, because there is so much opportunity and so much you can do, but there's also so much pressure, as Daniel said, where people are under scrutiny to show some results in order to continue to get that investment as well. In that respect, I think, we're continually looking at how we can return on that investment by looking at the trade-offs between what comes out of the box in terms of functionality, but realizing that cloud also means it can be become very expensive very quickly. If you don't actually think about which components you then will might swap out and build it yourself with your own skill sets. I know earlier we said it's about the people, it's the culture, it's the ethics, et cetera, but there is that constant drive we have to keep doing underneath and looking at the technology and really thinking about how we continually optimize that which is at mass scale and we can adopt and, and sort of not still a myth and, and in the future. Um, so we're, we're sort of all constantly thinking about that operating model and the technologies we can adopt in that respect. What was said earlier about um, investing in a particular platform, I think there's a lot to be said for that now. A few years ago, um, I think, you know, people were talking about multi-cloud and there was a lot of difference between certain providers in terms of certain functionality, but they're all really catching up with each other now. Um, and so once you're with one, depending on the scale of your organization, it, you know, there is a lot to be said for being able to get the most out and sweating an asset as well. And there's a lot of time we spend trying to work that out as well. My role within the organization I work for is very much on the technology side. So part of what I do is in direct conversation with the public cloud service providers and with our customers about how they can effectively take better advantage of the cloud against their data assets. When Disco's role in supporting that includes both providing technology for those types of requirements like data transfer and data activation, 
but also in, in ensuring that as cloud infrastructure becomes more commoditized, as Sabal was referring to, uh, the degree to which interoperability among those environments or the, the functionality available within products and technologies that organizations need to use to take advantage of that commoditization is present. We're working on ways in which organizations need to be less concerned with the how in regards to their data activation requirements and how they can take advantage of their data assets to monetize or find innovative business models they can build on. Less about the how and more about the why, which really goes back to the first point I was taking to about the need for innovation at the business level around data to be the focus of any discussion with regards to uh, data activation. Data leader is not about only about technology and data. So for me, it's bring together different views. And it's important to have a view on the data, but also on the processes and the business outcomes. So I think from a daily business perspective, my task is to reduce complexity in our value chain to make sure that data can help to make it easier for our internal people, but also for the external ones. Um, and to, to bring in another view. And I think um, chief data officer is not only the data guy, it's also something who can enable the whole processes. And that's the role like we are living it at the moment uh, at Zurich, Germany. But besides that, I think what also Saba um, mentioned, um, decide what you build and what you don't build, because there are so many good solutions available that are Pareto-ish 80%. Decide where you want to invest because one engineering professor once said, if there is a, a standard part available, you will have 5% of the costs maximum, but 80% of the outcome. And that's something that we also need to see, especially in AI, because it's no innovation. It's the rollout of a commodity, which makes our processes better. And we need to reduce the complexity in our value chains. And I think if we do this with strategic vendors, we can generate so much benefit that we have the time to build better data platforms, do fancy AI on our own. But um, for me, I think that's the thing. Not only data, it's more. One of the reasons we've started to move data to the cloud is because we've got very expensive data center infrastructure that we own, that we need to need to get away from. But one of the mistakes I've seen made is um, traditional infrastructure and physical building of platforms is applied to the cloud. So you end up with um, various different environments with the same data in there, costing a hideous amount of money um, instead of applying more modern engineering techniques to that. That takes time, particularly in a big organization like ours, to, to move from one end of the spectrum to the other. That then clouds the the potential around getting the value from the data because they're so concerned with the bills that are coming in for all the different instances that you've got. Getting it embedded in the culture of the leadership to really be hungry for data to help them make decisions, uh, making it that really easy and accessible. Like some some executives and leaders are so busy they haven't got time to read reams and reams of data. So how can we get that? data into their hands in a really easy way. Some of that can be out of the box platform, some of that can be stuff we, we create and build ourselves, but they've got um, they've got very little time. Um, so we need to 
that that needs to get to them in a really easy digestible way um, so they can make those decisions with that data at their fingertips very good thank you very much uh, i've got one final question i'd like to put to everybody and we're going to have to keep this short please so think in terms of a uh, 30 seconds 45 seconds to answer this question uh, Andrea, I'll start with you if I can. So I'm after success stories, either in your current role or maybe in the past, a success story that uh, demonstrates acceleration of business value, please. In our case, a, a success story is, is um, how, we can, how we can process more easily uh, data from third-party platforms that used to be processed manually and loaded uh, by people with CSVs and Excel files and, and things like that. We've started to automate that, which means that people are freed up to do more added, adding value things for the, for the charity. So that's something, it's definitely something we will continue to invest in. I'll take the exact opposite approach. And I'll say that, uh, just to keep it interesting, <laughs> I'll say that the problem is actually still the same. The other gentleman who said that earlier, I actually disagree with him. The problem is still the same. What we are trying to solve is a business problem, a cancer problem, right? Or, or a business problem in our case in retail or in content, right? The problem is still the same. It's how we are solving it that is different. I'll give you one example. Zalando, some of you might have used uh, the product. Zalando is uh, Europe's biggest fashion retailer. Uh, when we were there, uh, and I, I was there in Berlin for a few years, we built a personalization engine that was so strong that it actually really understood what that person was doing when they came to the website. What are they really interested in? And based on what they're interested in, what they have done in the past, what other people have done in the past, we were able to serve them and show them something that made them feel like they belonged, right? We did the same thing at Farfetch, and I'm doing the same thing now at OneFootball. If you can solve that business problem with data, it's not just reporting, not just collecting, it's AI, ML, serving it back to that person. Solve that business problem, that's the big use case. Very good, thank you very much. Andreas, same question, success story, please. So I'll go for one of my most favorite one that is recent also on my, on my kind role that we're working with um, short list for an award, just showing off there uh, a bit. Uh, it was um, on a project that we're working with um, environment agency as ACOM, I work with the environment agency on trying, when there's a flooding, the public will send pictures to environment agency that most of us, due to security, etc., they will not have the location where the picture is taken. So they will send all these pictures, but no one can actually identify where the picture is taken apart from a very wide area that you say, yes, someone in, somewhere in Sussex or somewhere in the north of England. Uh, so we did build Kind of the process takes a few days to be able to find where the picture is taken. And we built a process that can automate about 80% of the manual intervention of overlaying different data sets to identify on a vicinity of about a mile where the picture is taken, with some of them on the actual location based on the analysis of the image. Um, the interesting part of that, and that's why I see that as a success story, we didn't focus when we were building that, neither to replace completely the human, we automate about 80% of the process. We knew we wouldn't be able to find 100% of the process. Uh, so it was not about automating the human, but it was not focusing on technology, but really solving the problem. I'll probably take slightly, slightly different tact on how much everyone knows about the co-op and its history and some of the values and principles we operate by. But in 2018, um, we developed the first community wellbeing index um, using uh, data and working with the Young Foundation and Geolytics. 
Um, it's the first measure of well-being across all four nations of the UK. And we make that available for other businesses and individuals to see and look at. So that really helps us um, target where a lot of the community contributions that we that we bring in through our membership can get, get spent. So we've um, I provided over 9,000 meals to those who need them. Um, and there's many other statistics I've come up rattle off that, you know, this this wellbeing index really supports. Okay, so when I joined Zurich, it was in, in COVID, and um, I was talking to some claims people, and they said, Michael, we never will use AI in our area. So I said, challenge accepted. We <laughs> sat down, drank a coffee, defined a, defined a case. This case was rolled out. We reproduced it. By now, we have uh, industrialized it four times. It's saving a fortune. So my team and all the other data scientists are funded with this simple case. And to make it even better, we have the trust now in the claims team. And this kind of services are containerized now and can be used all over the group worldwide as service for other business units. So I think it's a nice um, impact on having a coffee with a claims guy. I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it in context of things like wellness index or environmental outcomes, which are obviously hugely important, but uh, perhaps one that we're all familiar with. Uh, Wandisco's worked with an organization, they're a global telco provider, who took advantage of techniques for rapidly transferring data to cloud environments so that they could better apply data science approaches to blocking spam phone calls. Um, the approach they took allowed them to do that uh, in six months faster than they had originally estimated, um, moving from their ability to block 138 million calls per month to over a billion calls per month, so directly impacting their customer base. But at the same time, uh, by taking advantage of that cloud infrastructure, they were able to decommission the on-premises platform that supported this approach historically and actually include cost savings on the order of tens of millions of dollars. So a trifecta in terms of time, customer outcomes and cost savings for that organization. As an organization, we our aim is to put people back on track and help vulnerable people who've been uh, in a bad situation. We have a phoenixing project, which was able to identify where bad actors would give bad financial advice where intentionally to people and then would actually create um, claims management companies and would help those people who were in trouble to make claims so that they could get part of the commission of the um, compensation that was paid back to those individuals. Due to the data that we collate, we're able to identify these bad characters and provide that information to the FCA on a regular basis to actually help stamp that out and prevent it from happening and get more money back in the hands of consumers. So uh, a really great example of data for good. Sabah, thanks very much for that. And thanks for those seven great examples. That's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for watching.